People are tired. People are worn out. People are at the end of their rope. Counselors are saying that there is a, uh, an epidemic of people coming to them saying, I had the energy to deal with COVID early on. I had the energy to deal with it uh, through the summer and into the fall, but I don't have that energy anymore. They're finding this to be true in so many people. Of course, winter doesn't help. We are stuck indoors and can't get outside where it is safer for us. We are, um, the days are shorter, although they're getting longer. And this has gone on longer than we thought it would. And now there's a vaccine, a vaccine that's supposed to be the answer. And yet, if you get the vaccine, you're in a select group so far. And people, when they're tired, when they're worn out, don't have the resources they need to carry on. And that is why I think it's particularly important as we look at Philippians this week, looking at chapter 4, the beginning of chapter 4, and uh, even more so next week uh, for the end of chapter 4. I encourage you to come back next week for that. Um, but here we find that as believers in Jesus Christ, we have resources that others don't have. We have resources to cope with the situations that we find ourselves in, those challenging times that can carry us. Paul says here in verse 1, Stand firm in the Lord, my dear friends. And I would encourage us to stand firm in the Lord. Standing firm in the Lord gives us peace in the midst of storms. Now, Paul tells us how to stand firm in the Lord. And first he says, stand firm in the Lord together. Uh, he pleads with Yodia and Syntyche, who are vital partners in the gospel work, as you can see uh, as he describes them here. Uh, and then he describes the team around them. I ask you, my true companion, help these women's, women since they contend at my side for the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers. You see, he's addressing how important it is that they work together. Yodi and Syntyche are very valuable to him, and they, and they have been valuable to him in his gospel ministry. But then he calls the rest of the church to gather around them and help them. And interestingly here, where it says in, in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, the verb, or the, the tense there is plural. Rejoice together in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice together. Joy is a shared and settled hope and trust, which identifies us as the people of God. Once again, I remind us of a children's sermon of a few weeks ago. We are responsible for God's reputation. If we allow ourselves to stand firm in the Lord and be changed by the Lord uh, together in our corporate identity and also as individuals, we will share uh, correctly about God, we, not just with our words, but with our actions, with our attitudes, with how we live. And it's vital that we do that. God gives us the resources to do this, so we should take advantage of those resources and live as God's people. 
which means we will be gentle. Paul says, let your gentleness be evident to all in verse 5. This gentleness is a deep, settled, calm confidence that keeps us from having any need to adopt the angry rhetoric that seems more contagious than COVID, that angry rhetoric that seems to uh, be so common in our world today. We do not need, as believers, to resort to power plays, to anger, to political maneuverings, etc. We know that God is good and that God is working in us, with us, and through us. And God is ultimately in control. Those things, those power plays and political maneuverings and anger and rage and, and judgment toward others come from hearts that are not settled. We have hearts, we should have hearts, we have every reason to have hearts that are settled, settled in peace that comes from knowing God, knowing God's grace, knowing God's presence in our lives. And if our hearts are not settled, we need to find a way to settle them. And that's what Paul is sharing with us here. Once again, we cannot offer the world anything if we're offering the world more of what the world offers. We need to offer the world something different. And joy and gentleness are what the world can't find because there is no true joy, there is no true settledness apart from knowing that God is at work. There is no true gentleness, no true um, confidence deep in the soul that all will be well apart from the promises of God. But we have those promises. And yet, we are different. We are a diverse group. The church is a diverse group, and that's something else we have to offer to the world, that we can disagree agreeably. Wow, wouldn't that be a nice change of pace in the world today? We're not all the same. Kathleen Norris in her book, Amazing Grace, says, if you want to join a group of like-minded people, join a political party, don't join the church. And even while Paul calls us to be like-minded, he's not saying we're all going to have all the same ideas, but we have a shared commitment to Christ that overarches our lives, that is the foundation of our lives, that allows us, even when we disagree, to do so agreeably, which is to do so differently than how we often see modeled in the world around us. So how do we stand firm in the Lord? We stand firm together. We cultivate relationships with other believers, and we cultivate those relationships that encourage us to trust in God. And that is the second thing. We stand firm in the Lord by encouraging each other, but we stand firm in the Lord by encouraging our own trust in God. Paul says here in verse 5, the Lord is near. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. These two things are connected. And we find that gentleness, that contentedness, that settledness because the Lord is near. And we're going to look now at ways that the Lord is near. First, the Lord is near to us by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. When we 
pray, God says he will pour his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. When we ask for wisdom, God will give us wisdom by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So God is near enough to be dwelling inside of you by the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And if you're not sensing it, ask God. Ask God to pour that Spirit into you to give you the wisdom that you need to give you the strong sense of his grace and presence in your life that you need. We also find that God is near through our siblings in Christ and their prayers for us. Now, I know we like to think of nearness as physical nearness, and that's not possible for many uh, right now um, to be near the many as we long for, but there is nearness that is still possible. I shared with a couple um, sisters and brothers this week, a sister and a brother um, this week, of my anxiety, my, my, my fears about um, the church and what's happening. And I ask for prayer. And it is not explainable in any way other than answered prayer what happened to my heart. A peace that surpasses human understanding settled upon me. We have each other. We have each other to pray for each other. And I am grateful for those who prayed for me this week. And I am grateful that God, in his grace, answered those prayers by settling my heart. We also have reason to trust in God. We also have a sense of the Lord's nearness by the nearness of his promises, his promised kingdom. Now, it's been a couple thousand years, and for us that seems like a long time, but for, as you know, for the Lord, a day is like a thousand years. It's only been a couple days, but regardless of when the kingdom will come in its fullness, it will come, and therefore it is near. It should be near to our hearts and our minds. It should direct who we are, this confidence in the coming kingdom of God. I already referred to Kathleen Norris's book, Amazing Grace, and there's another book of the same title written by Jonathan Kozel. He writes of a pastor to the poor in the Bronx who said that their church's life verse is the verse, I believe it's the fourth verse of Amazing Grace, through many dangers, toils, and snares we have already come. These people know what it is to live a life of suffering, to live a life of ongoing trials and struggles. But they also know that they've come through many and they can continue the verse, his grace has brought me safe thus far and grace will lead me home. That promise of eternal glory should be near to us and give us peace that surpasses understanding. A student of Kozel wrote uh, a paper, and in the paper he wrote this, there will be no violence in heaven. There will be no guns or drugs or IRS. Jesus will be good to all the children who have died and play with them. God will be fond of you. Let God's fondness for you and his promise of a day when you can experience that fondness 
face to face. Let that guard your heart. Let that guard your mind. Let that strengthen you as you face uncertain days. And then Paul goes on to say, we must redirect our hearts. He says, do not be anxious. Now, it's interesting here, and I would call Paul, uh, talk to Paul about this. Paul uses that same root word for anxious of himself in um, 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. I want to read the context of that uh, as um, we look at this. Paul says, Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. I, once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and a night in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in danger from the false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern, and it's the same root there, concern, anxiety for all the churches. Paul went through a lot. <laughs> Paul went through much more than COVID-19 or whatever else we are going through. And I'm not trying in any way to belittle your experience of the struggles and trials that you are going through. But Paul went through a lot, and Paul, that same Paul, could say, do not be anxious about anything. He had confessed his own anxiety about his, the churches he loved so much, but he also tells us, as he tells himself, we don't need to be anxious. He places our anxieties and fears and concerns in the context, into the context of our relationship with God. We are invited to make ourselves known to God and to ourselves at our own points of greatest vulnerability, and God will receive us, and God will be fond of us. Now, we don't know what the future holds. We don't know how long it will be before the vaccine gets into every arm. We don't know how long it will be before the masks can come off. But even though we don't know what the future holds, we know who holds the future. And we don't just know him intellectually. We know him in our hearts and we know that he is good and we know that we can trust him. And that knowledge gives us peace. Karl Barth said that joy, this rejoicing, that we're called to here is a continually defiant nevertheless. Yes, there are struggles. Yes, there is pain. But nevertheless, God is good. Nevertheless, God will accomplish God's good and glorious purposes in me and in his eternal kingdom. So therefore, we pray in every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving and thanksgiving is, is an acknowledgement of our confidence that we are supported and will never be unsupported by the one who is faithful. So redirect our hearts, 
redirect our minds. Paul goes on to say, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And when I read that, I have to confess, I go back to the life of Brian, the movie in which Brian is hanging on the cross and singing, always look on the bright side of life. And that's how this is viewed by people who don't really understand that it's not just a choice to look on the bright side of life, to pretend like everything's good, but to know deep down that everything is good, will be good, that God is still and will always be on his throne. Brothers and sisters, Paul says, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about such things. Ask yourself, with every thought, does it fit this verse? A couple weeks ago in our Sunday morning study, we uh, wrestled with the phrase gigo, garbage in, garbage out. And we were reminded to be careful what goes into our minds. Don't feed on the fear-mongering garbage that is so plentiful in our world today. Don't feed on those um, words from people who are trying to stir up trouble, who are trying to make you afraid, because you don't need that. Because God is still God. God is on God's throne and God is ultimately in control. Don't feed on garbage that makes you hate whole groups of people. Don't feed on garbage that makes you think the worst about others. But feed on the word of God which tells you of God's love, grace, and compassion for everyone and your responsibility, my responsibility, our responsibility to bear God's witness into the world, to have the heart of Christ, a self-giving heart as we look at other people and interact with them. Let us covenant to work together to develop hearts that rejoice without ceasing, minds that work overtime to ponder only the best and brightest of subjects, and lives that consistently show forth our God of peace. Amen.